0: Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Maggie. I'm on staff here. It's just a pleasure to welcome you to the table, whether you've been here a lot or not been here very often. We are so glad that you chose to spend your Sunday night with us. Um, I have a few announcements for us this evening, and the first is that on Labor Day weekend this year, we won't be gathering for in-person worship. Instead, we'd like you to have an opportunity to practice some rest, some Sabbath. And then we would love to welcome you back for a really big sort of welcome back service on September 12th. For the remainder of September, and out of an abundance of caution and health and safety reasons, we're gonna be outside in the parking lot. And it'll work much the same as it has in the past. We will have um, nursery open for babies and toddlers still, but um, the kids will be outdoors with us, kind of on that um, grassy green area. Oh, I'm supposed to dismiss the kids. I should have done that because I have children. <laughs> hey, kids, if you would like to go to your wonderful classrooms, this is preschool and up, your teachers are in the back. There's Nicole waving. So sorry, I forgot to let you go. <laughs> Thanks for being here during worship, everybody. <laughs> so we will see you um, outside for the three sundays in september and we're excited to be outside during that time kind of soaking up the last little bit of great weather here in minnesota um and so we'll be regular time just a new place okay patty i've already forgotten what's next thank you book club we have a great book club that meets on the last thursday of the month and it's going to be this thursday at debbie's house and they're discussing jesus and john wayne Um, If you're into that, if you love to read, even if you don't love to read, but you've read this book, we'd love to have you. We'd love to see you. Um, We'll be at Debbie's house and her address is there. It's also on our website on the calendar tab. Next. We've had a lot of people reach out saying, I'd love to get plugged in at the table. I want to get connected, establish some more relationships and friendships here. How do I do that? The best, best way is to um, experience life in a small group. So we are going to be... creating some new small groups, putting those together in the month of September. If you're like, hey, I need some community, especially, who knows what the winter is gonna look like? Going into this winter, we know what last winter looked like and felt like, and if you are just needing some um, connection, we would love to put you in a small group. So you can reach out to Debbie by emailing her right there, and she will get you plugged in with some of the new groups that are starting up in September. Um, If you have already texted the word table to 33222, then you're getting my text message. Messages. And if you haven't, then you're not, and I would love to be able to text you. So. <laughs> I mean, it comes from the table. It's not like just random Maggie texting you. Anyways, uh, would love for you to stay up to date on our events and other things that we're offering, and the best way to do that is to get on our text list. Finally, thank you so much for the ways that you have been in our corner. Um, We are striving to be in yours, and I'm just so grateful. For those of you who are regular financial givers, so many different ways to do it. You can give online, you can text a gift, and if you are old-fashioned, we've got a box in the back. So thank you. So much for um, your continued generosity. We are grateful. Thank you so much for partnering with us. And now it's Matt for the message.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Meg. Yeah. If there was a texting line that would just have you sending out like golden nuggets of wisdom, I would, I would sign up for that. I I probably would. Yeah. Good evening, you guys. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. Thrilled that you are with us um, on this Sunday night. This is the part on our Sunday nights where we try to pause and look at our tradition of text, the sacred text that makes up our faith and see is there something inside of the scripture that has something to say to our stories. Easier said than done, done sometimes, but, but that's our aim every time, is that we go into the text in hopes we can find some nutrients, something that can edify our, our time. Um, hey, man, I, this is not gonna be an over-the-top articulated sermon. I probably shouldn't even go long. Debbie, tell me if I am. And part of that is just because I'm just feeling uh, a little bit tired today, but also I'm feeling like a lot of you are too. I'm not saying that you didn't sing loud or there was an absence of enthusiasm. It's just been amazing the past couple of weeks. And tell me if I'm wrong on that too. Maybe I'm reading it all wrong, but the past couple of weeks in conversations in the community, conversations in my family, conversations between me and my diary, conversations with people outside of this community collectively whenever I have offered up the question, Hey, how are you doing? I haven't really gotten a lot of fines or like I'm good. Life is on the up and up right now. Things are going swimmingly. In fact, I've heard a lot about depression. I've heard a lot about anxiety. I've heard a lot of fear, a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty of what's to come. Yeah, we got the changing season, and that's a thing in and of itself, kids going back to school, but also that question of, like, how long will the kids be at school? What's coming with the new variants and all the variables attached to it? Like, there's a lot of unknowns, and it's leaving a lot of us in a hot mess, and so how are you doing? Like, when you come into this room tonight, what are you carrying with you? You don't just say it aloud, but it's important that we're aware of what's going on inside of us, especially when we gather in these places like this. I I was palpably aware of it in myself the other night. had a stressful evening, I'll spare you the details, but came home later, sat in the backyard, and I remembered this psalm from years ago. This is not normative for me, I don't just have scriptures flashing up in front of my face at all times. There is a psalm, I think it's the 112th psalm, where the psalmist writes that the the righteous are not shaken. They are not afraid of bad news. They're not afraid of what's to come. They have steadfast hearts. And I thought, like, that is ultimately the aim, but that's not really our reality. There's a lot of shaky hands right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, and so what I want to do is, is I want to just try to offer up some encouragement to you tonight. Won't be a fix, won't be a silver bullet, but I do believe that there's something inside of the text that we'll look at in a second that's going to be good for us to take in. We're going to go to the last chapter of the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter to be exact. And it's, it's longer. Look, like we don't read scripture in its totality at the length that we're about to do so. But I think, I think there's something inside of this that is worth our attention tonight. And I also want to th- say this as well, is that the Joshua, book of Joshua, any of these military conquests that you see ancient um, texts speaking about, they're inevitably going to bring a little bit of cringe, especially because we're looking at it through the lens of Christ. And so there's some pieces inside of this I'm just going to ask you to just see past and trust that there's still going to be nutritional material inside of it. Joshua 24 reads like this, starting at verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all of the tribes of Israel at Shechem, He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So here's the scene. The context at hand is that Moses has led the people out of bondage, out of Egypt, and now Joshua is standing inches away from the promised land, and he presses pause to give a speech. Joshua says to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. I took your dad, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him throughout Canaan, and I gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Anybody else grateful that God brought you out of something? I always think about these sort of things before we go into the next kind of season is the important work of lingering on your life and turning around and thinking about, yes, there are 10,000 different things I can complain about. There's a million different things that are really getting me today, but when I look back and I think about some of the things that God has brought me out of. When I think about my own journey in recovery, when I think about friends whose marriages were all but over, when I think about these things that God has brought people out of, there is a spirit of gratitude that overwhelms me. Are you aware of the things that God brought you out of? When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. That is a very, (laughs) they lived in the wilderness for 40 years according to the story. So you took 40 years and you broke it down into nine words. You condensed it a little bit right there. Yes, it was a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lives east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I wasn't about to listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Citizens of Jericho, they also fought against you, as did also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Cellulites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you. Who remembers that part of the the Egyptian Exodus story when the hornet goes ahead? Okay, interesting. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You didn't do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you didn't toil in cities that you didn't build and you live in them and you eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. This is like honestly every dinner in our house right now is when our kids are chewing on more complaints than the actual food that we provided. I said, did you, did you make that food tonight? Did you pay for that food? Did you buy like this house? It's not healthy. I'm just letting you know like that's what's going on. That's what this reminded me of right now. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is Joshua's big speech. It's, um, you know, if you were to look at the Hebrew story, if you were to size it up and try to figure out, like, who's the main star of the show, who's the main character, then without a doubt, you'd probably reach the same conclusion that I have, and it's a man named Moses. Moses is somebody whose name pops up over 750 times in the scripture. He is there on almost every page, and At the risk of being reductionistic when you try to summarize a life like Moses and the archetypal figure that he ends up being, what you see in his life is this man who was born of conviction and who's always trying to work himself into some character. You could say 10,000 things about him, but he he believes in what he believes and he goes for it and he makes things happen. When the fire spoke from the bush and the, the call was put out, he brought the people out of Egypt from out of bondage into something better, from out of slavery into a place of surplus. And then when they get into the woods and they start walking a little bit and all the people start complaining, missing the warm meals back in Egypt, he's the one who continues to push the people to keep going forward when everybody else wanted to press pause. Moses is somebody who who pushes. Moses is somebody who is driven. He is determined. He is committed to the call of making progress at all costs. And I, I, I would say the same thing about many of you. Like when I look around this room tonight, there are a lot of people here who, who I can see that you are where you are and you have what you have and you're with who you're with because you refuse to settle on the sidelines. You went all in. You're going all in. You've committed yourself to this work of evolving and expanding and being better tomorrow than you were today. That's why you're joining book clubs to talk about things that you weren't ever taught. That's why we've lined up, um, we got this sacred sites tour that's coming next month where we're going to go learn about the Native American history in this land here in Minneapolis, which we've done in the past. And we always have people show up to learn about the things that they were not taught because we have a people in this community who are committed to growing and to evolving and to expanding into the fullest version that you are here to be. When I read about the life of Moses and I think about this, I think about you and I think about this collective allergic reaction we have to complacency and passivity. I love that you have the fire that Moses has. I love that you have that drive. If I had to register a concern, it would be that that drive that you have and that fire that you have, at times, it can also have us. That's what happened to Moses, you know. It ended ultimately getting him. The fire that brought him up at the start is the fire that burned him down in the end. I won't go through all the details on his story, but I do think it illuminates a very important truth that's on both sides of this one thing. Yes, we are here to push forward. Yes, we are here to make progress. We're not here to stand still. We're not here to play small. We're not here to make homes on the sidelines. We are here to be pushing forward into what God has in store for us. But the same reason that Moses is able to push forward, his drive, is the same reason that Moses ultimately doesn't get where he thought that he would. Because there comes that moment when he's in the woods and he's talking about the promised land up ahead and he's leading the charge for the people to go where he loses patience and he loses perspective and he ends up slapping a rock that he was told to speak to. He ends up not just receiving the invitation from God, he ends up forcing the, the issue. And he doesn't make it where he thought that he would. His story gets cut short. And the tragic story of Moses is that when you sum it all up, what brought him down is that he wanted to win so badly that he ultimately didn't win it all. I mean, it's like me, I think about, where's Jew. Where's Drew? Drew, it's like us the other day at Hiawatha. You remember that moment? Don't get bashful. You remember that moment when you and I, I think it was hole number eight, and I was, my drive wasn't ideal. It wasn't terrible. wasn't ideal. I drove it. Maybe, you know, whatever. We won't get to the yardage. Little off to the left. Thought I could force the issue and go through a small window in the tree. Debbie, Drew doesn't care, so will you please listen? Took my three iron out. It's about 200 yards away from the green. Saw a window in the tree, forced it, ended up Obviously, just shattering all the different branches and made it in there like 22 strokes or something of that sort. I was forcing the issue. In many ways, that's what Moses did. Was that helpful? Thank you. Okay. (laughs) For many of us, when we think about progress, when we think about this idea of Moses, when we think about you got to always be pushing forward. Sacrifice is going to precede success. Sweat needs to happen before you make success. All of that is true, but there can also be a problematic piece of it that is wrong. And we're not aware of the wrong part as much as we're aware of the true part. Because we were raised in a society that told us that if we wanna be somebody, we wanna go somewhere, then we need to uh, be good, get good grades. We need to slay the dragon, go to Notre Dame, get the girl, make the money. Then at 62, you move to Florida and you get the gift that you've invested your whole life in trying to get, the promised land that's been lingering up ahead this whole time. That has been the call again and again. The problem is when you do arrive in Naples, Florida, and you're thinking that this is the time where I'm going to relish the gift, all of those hours I put in to get to where I am now, the problem is that you are so fixated, you're so rooted in the promised land up ahead that you're not actually able to see the promised land that is here. And there's a cost to that. And so you and I who are born and raised as capitalists in this society who are supposed to prioritize above all things, accumulation of the thing that's next, to be a born-again Christian is to recognize that you are driven by an appreciation of what is here now. We recognize the gift that is life. It's this, this maturation move that we are here to make where you shift from the anxiously driven question of what are you going to do for me, God, And you move to a place of gratitude and you say, what is it that you have done for me, God? When I turn around, do I see that it really is grace when we sing this song? Are you feeling it beyond the obligatory, like this is what you do in church, you sing the words that are on the screen. Do you feel like I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was a mess, but now I'm standing up straight. I thought I was dead. I thought it was over. I thought I was stuck. And yet look at me now. I'm not only standing, occasionally I'll also come to sprint. Are you aware of how far you've come? Have you made that pivot? Now you might be wondering like, why are you talking about Moses so much, Matt? Because this is about Joshua. Joshua talks about Moses a lot. Joshua was a disciple of Moses. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And Joshua saw how far Moses went and how far Moses fell. And he refused to do the same things. Now go back to that place where we see Joshua 24. You get to this moment where you are gathered in Shechem with Joshua and the leaders and the elders and the people. And there's this weighty thing that happens where after all these years, decades of of striving and questioning and doubting and wondering, is the promised land just a fiction story or are we actually on the brink of entering into something that is good? Joshua stops them at Shechem and says, I have a word from you. Why do you think he stops them at Shechem? I mean, there's a lot that he says in the, in the speech that he gives, but the first line of Joshua 24 starts with that they gathered in a place called Shechem. And if you know your Bible, you ought to be thinking right away about a father named Abraham. Because some 400, 500 years prior to Joshua giving this speech to the people at Shechem, God, Abraham was in Shechem receiving a promise from God. A promise from God that said at some point, I know that you and your wife are old. I know that it doesn't look like you're going to have many kids. I know that it, it, it looks bleak at best. But at some point, there will be a nation that rises up from you. At some point, it won't always be like this. The best is yet to come, even if it feels impossible right now. God promises Abraham this at Shechem. And then you fast forward. 400, 500 years and Joshua, they're walking towards the promised land and he sees that they're at Shechem and he says, stop. You are the proof of your parents promise. You are, are the dream of your ancestors. You are living in a space that the people that came before you they only dreamed of someday getting. Remember when you wanted what you right now have. Remember when this is the thing that you wanted the most. Remember when this marriage was all you could think about. Remember what all those years of trying to have kids. Remember when it felt like you couldn't find a job, and you were putting in applications left and right, and you're tossing out your resume to anybody who'd be interested, remember when you thought you couldn't find a job? And now look at you. Remember when you wanted what you right now have. I actually thought about this even just this morning when I thought about the the task of Joshua to put on the people and say, do you remember when your ancestors dreamed about this moment? I got this Bible here. I stole it from my cabin. I wish my aunt and uncle weren't here because now they're going to take it back from me. But... It's my great-grandparents' Bible. And I think about the journey that my own grandparents came from Sweden, trying to figure out, like, what would life look like in America? It's a different kind of story, but I wonder how often they clung to Bibles like this. These pages that you can't just flippantly go through or they'll all fall out. Writing scribbles in the notes, clinging, saying, like, I hope there's something better, but I don't really know. I'm following on a whisper, on a hunch, on a slight inclination that this is the right move. And now look at us here today. They're not here, but we are. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Are you aware of all that came before you before you got into this room tonight? All of the ways that you've been loved by people you maybe don't even know. Are you aware of how far you've come in your own story? When you think back on the old you. When you think about how, how far your journey has come. You know, we have a guy, oh gosh, I guess we had a guy, named Jarrett Culver on the Wolves, who last year was going through a real struggle um, on the court, just struggling to figure things out and struggling to figure out his stride and his place in the rotation. And I had this moment with Jarrett before one of the games where he was staying after a and We were sitting there together, and I wrote down these numbers on a piece of paper. I wrote the number 10,000 down, and then I wrote down the number three next it. I said, JC, do you know what these... what these numbers are, and he said, uh, well, they're they're numbers. And I said, that's correct, but do you know what they actually mean? He didn't. And I told him that, you know, one of the articles that I've read recently brought to my attention that out of the 10,000 basketball players that are playing in, in high school in our country today, only three of them will be drafted into the NBA. And then I wrote down another number. I wrote down this number, 10.6%, and I said, you know what that number is right there? Of the players that are in the NBA, only 10.6% of them will have a longer career than four years. I said, Jared, you, you can't ever really win if you're not aware of how much you've already won. You're not gonna go much further If you can't see how far you've already come, if you don't go to Shechem and turn around and see the places you were, see the journey that you were on, see the distance between where you are now and where you thought you were stuck. If you don't see that, you're not going to actually receive the promised land up ahead because you can't even see the promises that have provided right here. When is the last time you've been to Shechem? When is the last time you turned around and just lingered on your life? I have a friend who's a a Buddhist leader and he talks about this all the time, the the art, the spiritual practice of lingering on your life. His, His words are that enjoyment, if we actually want to experience joy, enjoyment requires time to metabolize experience. This is how memories are made. Life comes at us and we respond and when we respond, we make contact and if we linger, we make that contact warm. If we wanna have that aim where we have steady hands and steady hearts, when we want our lives to be full of joy and not just anxiously anticipating what's coming next, be it burden or blessing, you actually have to linger on your life and see the gifts that came before where you are right now. I'll wrap this up, Debbie, am I going long right now? I'm okay. One of the things that I think we need to think about, one of the things I guess I've been thinking about in this text right here, because admittedly, again, there are some challenges in a text like this. How can this be helpful? How can this be beneficial? And here's the textual piece that I want you to look at that I think is really interesting. When you think about getting to Shechem, and you recognize that, that the size of your problems up ahead cannot outweigh the story of the provisions behind, and you turn around to see exactly where the promises have been fulfilled, where God's goodness has shown up. There is that work of saying, this is, this is that, and this is this. This is where I've seen God do this. This is where I saw God do that. There is that cataloging of your own memories and, and recognizing this is where the hand of God was present in my life. There is also the, the opportunity and the imperative to not just thank God for what you remember, but also thank God for the things that you can't remember. If you read this text, what's fascinating to me is that Joshua goes above and beyond and he he tries to detail all the different ways that the people have been brought forward. But he does it in an interesting way because he talks about Jericho, but he doesn't talk about the walls coming down. You'd think that like with a miraculous, groundbreaking story like that, that would be a part of the thing that you would make sure that you, especially if you are preaching in that moment right there, but Joshua doesn't do that. There's no mentioning of the walls that come down. But then he talks about the Red Sea and about Egypt. But he doesn't talk about the waves being split. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't talk about Moses lifting up his hands and all of a sudden God breathing out of God's nostrils. And all of a sudden the people of Israel walking across. There is no mention of that whatsoever. Instead, it says that he talks, he writes this, he he says, the people cried to the Lord for help, and God put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. But then God goes on, or Jacob goes, Joshua, sorry, goes on, and he doesn't just speak, not he doesn't speak about the waves being split, but he also starts to speak about the hornet that went ahead. Now, none of you guys remember that in the story. None of you saw that in the Charleston Heston movies. None of you ever remembered this piece about the flock of hornets. Is it a flock of hornets or is it a pack of hornets? It doesn't matter right now. The hornet that went ahead of the people. You might recall the darkness that was behind, but not the hornet that went ahead, and that's important. Because while the people are there and they're sitting and they're going like, Joshua is senile. He is losing his mind. He is starting to slip a little bit. What Joshua is doing is he's not talking about the things they already knew that God did for them. He's talking about the things that God did that transcended their awareness. There's so many different things in your life. There are so many different things in my life that I'm trusting that when I turn around and take account for how I got to where I am, I can say God's hand was here and here, and I also know that God's hand was elsewhere, but I'm not even aware of it. In the same way where I'm able to do things because of the sacrifices that my parents made, sacrifices that I could not articulate for you tonight, God's hand has been in my life. Can you take time to thank God, not just for the things God has done for you, but also take time to shape your perspective in this trust that God has always been doing things for you and has not been waiting on your awareness to precede his activity. It's all about perspective, close with this, is there is this, um, this, this thing that always come up with North Carolina basketball players that go through Dean Smith's program that gets to the other side and the, they'd be interviewed and they'd say, so what was it like to play for Coach Smith? What was it like to be in that presence? And there's this constant quote that is actually from multiple players They tried to just kind of weave into one thing to give you an idea of the perspective that Coach Smith continued to provide for the people. And it says this, It seemed like everything we worked on in practice at one time or another would pop up in the game. I remember being in tough situations when we needed a last second shot or the fans were yelling in the huddle and we couldn't hear each other and Coach Smith would always lean over and he would tell us in those tight games, in those stressful moments when we thought it was all coming to an end, he would say, isn't this what you came to Carolina for? How fun is this? That's how he was in every huddle, reminding people of a wider, wider perspective that says, this is why you are here. What's coming next is not a reflective of what's come before. Rest in the fact that you don't have to reach for God's favor, you are running from God's favor and that's sufficient enough for your story. Jesus, be with us in this place, God. God, give us healthy perspective, Lord, that when life is tiring, life is exhausting, the pandemic won't go away and all of the frustrations attached to that, that God, you are a steady hand. And whether or not we are aware of your presence, we trust that your presence is still here. We trust that you are doing things beyond our awareness of what you're doing. And that's the good news. With all the different pieces that we don't know how to hold, we still will trust that in your hands we're being held. In Christ's name, we give you our anxieties. In Christ's name, we give you our fears. In Christ's name, we give you... Our grateful hearts. Help us to go to Shechem more often where we can turn around and see how good you have been to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: I was thinking about the promised land, about hope, because I think there are seasons when we really hang on to that, don't we? What will be? Sometimes all we have is that hope. But that's right. I don't think we see the fullness of God unless we actually pause long enough to look back on what was. To acknowledge how God's been working in our life, whether we knew it or not. And the same holds true for the moment we're in now. To be in this moment, to recognize that God is at work and that it's together what was, what is, what will be that makes the fullness of life. It's that that gives us hope as people that are followers of Jesus. My favorite thing about this moment is that we get to pause in this moment. We get to remember that. We can actually stop as we get ready to take the bread and take the juice and we can look back on what was. We can see how God has worked in just amazing ways in our lives. We can stop and embrace this moment, no matter what that moment is for us. And two, we can hold the promise of what will be. On the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you eat this remember me and he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said this is my bloodshed for you the new covenant when you drink from this cup remember me and we can take the bread and drink from the cup and we can remember we can remember what was we can remember what is we can hold on to the hope that we have in this blood and this bread, this body that's been broken for us, the hope that it brings for us. So as you take, as you take your cup and you peel that back, and you take that wafer, hear these words, these words that are for you. The body of Christ broken for you. As you take this cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. Together, let's stand and pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
1: Friends, we are so grateful that you were here with us tonight. Uh, parents, if you have babies or kids in one of the two rooms after this, just make sure you immediately go get them because the people are losing their minds and they're gonna want to tap out immediately. Got it? We're good? Speaking of kids, a couple years back, I went to my therapist and I said, uh, parenting is, is hard and, um, and I really cannot express this strongly enough. The hardest part about parenting is really the kids. Like the kids are challenging, My kids in particular, they're peeing everywhere, they're they're loud, they're crying, they're noisy, they're making a mess. And so I said, what do I do? (laughs) What's the play here? And, And ultimately what she went on to say was, you really need to go to Shechem every night and take on this practice, and I have. And the practice is that every night before I go to bed, I go into their rooms and I look at Sawyer sleeping in his bed and I look at Graham sleeping in his crib and I look at Wyatt sleeping in his bed. And I think about like how, no, it's not always perfect. It's not always the way I wanted it to be. But I dreamed about having this. Like this this is as good as it gets right here. And it's a sin, and we don't use that word very often, but it's a sin to not be aware of that in a way that leads you to appreciate good gifts that are in your life. Stand over your Shechem's. Recognize it's not always what you want it to be, but you dreamed about this day. Remember what you want when you want it, what you right now have, and savor it. Friends, For you close your eyes, hold out your hands, receive the benediction, then go get your kids. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, Where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Go in peace. We'll see you next Sunday.